Whoa, 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 whoa. Cole, Cole, what are you doing? You cannot rub that shit. You got to blot it. That's $25,000 alpaca. The man I worked for had one of the biggest companies in New York City. He didn't own his own company. White man owned it, so they owned him. Nobody owns me, though. The most important thing in business is honesty. Bribery. Extortion. Integrity, hard work. Murder, racketeering. Family. Never forgetting where we came from. Who is this guy? So you are what you are in this world. That's either one or two things. Either you're somebody, or you ain't nobody. That is your house, mama. You want what you got, Uncle Frank? I want to be you. My investigation indicates that Frank Lucas is above the mafia. Who does he work for? Which family? He's not Italian, he's black. No black man has accomplished what the American mafia hasn't in a hundred years! They tried to kill my wife! Frank Lucas is the most dangerous man walking the streets of our city. This is my home. My country. Frank Lucas don't run from nobody. This is America. Welcome to Cigarette Burns. It is Jed and Cole, as usual, coming at you with a very special, special episode. We are talking about, of course, the Ridley Scott classic, American Gangster. Underrated classic, man. I just, I want to get into something real quick here, because I have a hot take right out of the gate. Oh, melt my face one minute in. Let's do this. I know you aren't going to agree with me, (laughs) and nobody's going to agree with me, but I think this is his best film Top to bottom. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, See, here's the problem, and it's a good problem to have, is that Ridley is in so many different genres that it's really difficult comparison to make. Uh, You know, it's hard to sit here and look at, like, Alien and look at American Gangster and say, same dude, right? Mm -hmm. Blade Runner, Gladiator. (laughs) Matchstick men. That is why, though, I feel it is his best because he had to go through all of those to make this film, which the genius of this film, for me, from the directing standpoint, is the restraint with which the direction is used. He allows this amazing cast, the amazing script, the amazing locations to speak for themselves and he doesn't over-direct anything. And I think that's why, to me, it's his best film. It's the sign of a director who is fully, fully comfortable with what they're doing and doesn't need to make up for anything by doing this kind of shot. Or I don't need to use a De Palma kind of circle. Right, right. I don't have any double dolly stuff. I'm not using any tricks. I'm showing you everything right in front of you. It's it's Tory Pine South. It's all right in front of you, baby. Just try to deal so with it. So for the three of you who, who uh, get that out there, we love you. Um, I I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I don't disagree with the premise of what you're saying. And I love this movie. Like since it came out, I've never understood why this isn't brought up as 
you know, that top five Ridley movie. And I don't think, I think we're the only two who would put it there. Uh, it never yeah. is discussed. No, I think so. It's it's just kind of completely forgotten. And I, I used to think it was because of the year that it came out. Because this is a big year for like PTA with There Will Be Blood. People were going to argue that's his masterpiece. And it's hard to argue against that. It might not be my favorite mm-hmm. one, but it is certainly an incredible film. You've got the Coen brothers with No Country for Old Men. Obviously, people are going to argue that's their masterpiece. So you you have a lot of these huge directorial careers all converging in this one year. So I, I guess it's easy at that time for it to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But as time has gone on, I haven't seen the sort of love for this movie that I would have expected because of who's in it, of the performances are incredible. But I, I have a comparison this uh, with this movie that I think is apt and I wouldn't have been able to have it until a couple years ago, which was this hits me a lot like The Irishman. And it's not just because Steve Zalian wrote both, but it, it's because it's a blue-collar look at this lifestyle that has been in how many different movies? I mean, th- this this is not like new ground, right? But it is told no. as opposed to a super fast-paced high-end lifestyle it's more of a blue collar work the program slower paced almost almost a western pace through this film and a lot of that is juxtaposed between investigation and drug dealing and i'm not saying that they don't put denzel in places where man this looks like a fun life you know whereas irishman is probably a little bit more blue collar it's just the grunt work that you see for the most part there but this is not goodfellas Right. Where it's like, God, I just want to be a gangster. This is this is the life. This is the life I have to lead. This is how I'm going to do it better than my predecessors. This is how I'm going to do it better than my contemporaries. And then juxtapose that with Russell Crowe's Richie Roberts investigating it with, you know, not really knowing what you're looking for, which is always an interesting device to me, which is, you know, we're the first ones to go after this thing. We have to kind of make up the rules as we go along and figure out what we're dealing with. So, uh, you know. The the stuff that made this movie, the people that made this movie, really is why I look at it as this kind of pseudo-masterpiece. I don't want to overuse that word, right? But it is approaching masterpiece level to me. I mean, you have Ridley Scott directing it. You have Steve Zalian writing it. Uh, below the line shout-out goes to Kathy Nelson, the music supervisor. Oh, my God. Like, the music cues in this film are incredible. I, I, I want to go over the cast. I, oh, you, yes. Quick, yeah. I, I have... Go, because I'll just rest, because you're going to list off 25 names. Here we go. And these are not everyone, but these are just the ones that I picked. Chewy Tell Ejiofor, Josh Brolin, Ted Levine, Roger Guinevere Smith, John Hawks, Rizza, Ruby D, Carla Gugino, John Ortiz, Cuba Gooding Jr., Amar Desante, Joe Morton, Richie Coster, Idris Elba, Common, Norman Reedus, and one of mine, and I would say a pod favorite, Kevin Corrigan, which I figured out the thing about Kevin Corrigan. The genius of Kevin Corrigan is you're always left wanting more Kevin Corrigan. Because he's only in every movie for 11 seconds. Exactly. Yeah, it's, he's great. He's perfect. Uh, the only one you left out that I would add is Yul Vasquez. Love him. Mm-hmm. Just so good. Yeah. But, the, I mean, those that lineup, this is a precursor to like short-term 12. Okay, this is one of those movies you just look at. You're like, every time somebody comes on the screen, you're like, they got Norman Reedus to be the guy at the uh, morgue. Like, that's all he does. In 15 seconds of the film. Exactly. And, and it's not like a, a memorable, like, 
lead in like Kevin Corrigan's memorable like damn Richie I, I why why'd you you should have told me it was you I've considered me serve what can we do what can we do Norman Reedus is in this movie in 2007 and just saying is this the body okay and moving I've on. seen a lot of these recently. Yeah, yep. there, there's nothing unique about that part. That's like uh, other movies would have like the production assistant's cousin do that walkthrough. That would be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, oh, dude. And, and not that everybody on that list is good. Like the reason I compare it to Short Term 12 is there's people that are kind of finding their footing in the whole acting deal. There's no performance that's so bad it takes me out of the movie. But you can see where like T.I. sort of. He's trying. Yeah, it's, you know, making that transition because when you see him in House of Lies, he's so good in House of Lies. He's excellent in that. He's great in Ant-Man. He's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. But you see him, and, and I wonder if a lot of this has to do with, like, you got to go up with Denzel, right? This is, yep. I, I don't want to go up against Denzel now, let alone 15 years ago. But what I love is Ruby D's like, bring him on. Oh. <sighs> I don't give a shit. Now, she was the only... Academy Award nominated performance in this movie. And that's okay. Like, you look at this year, this was a heavy year, you know. Mm -hmm. But she is so good. She is the one ground wire for Frank Lucas in this whole movie. And she holds it down every scene she's in. You believe her from the second you see her when she's out in North Carolina in the boondocks or wherever you want to call it, just out there in the country and washing the clothes, got the entire family living there. And you believe her when she sees that house for the first time and that reaction where she claps her hands. Yep. It's perfect. You believe her when she slaps Frank. I feel that slap. I feel that slap. Yeah. And I also feel it when she points at his wife and he's like, I love her more than you almost. It's like, she's going to leave you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. This beautiful, smart, wonderful woman is going to leave you. And like, you feel that she's, yeah, she's, I mean, it's Ruby D people. It's Ruby D. Like, She's perfect. But I'm just going to say that I really feel like this is his most complete film and him at his at the height of his powers because literally his filmography is all downhill for the most part after this. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, there's I, The only thing that I see in his filmography after this that sort of stands out to me is The Martian, you know, which is a surprisingly a good fine film. film. Yeah, it's not. And yeah, when I say surprisingly, I looked at it not wanting to like it. I was like, I like cast away in space. Okay. I'm one of the few that like Prometheus, but the sequel, Alien Covenant, wasn't the biggest fan of. All the money in the world, we know the problem that had. Yeah. I haven't made, been able to make it past the first three episodes of Raised by Wolves. Yeah, I haven't seen um, that. Robin Hood, I know you like. I, I thought it was fine. It's a prequel. Body of it's Lies okay. is a mess. Yeah, Body of Lies is a mess. Absolutely. This is a mess, right? Um, yeah, I just, I feel bad for him because. He will make another... I don't really feel bad for Ridley Scott, but he will make another movie to remind people, hey, I'm still fucking here and I'm really good. Yes, absolutely. And, and he's also made enough to where it's like, whatever, you know? Like, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter. But I'm not going to argue with your premise. I don't know that I would... You know, it's it's hard for me to not look at something as seamless and efficient as Thelma and Louise and not think maybe that's his most complete film because mm -hmm. I will say, as much as I love American Gangster... I would cut out a pod favorite, Carl Gugino. I would cut out that entire storyline. I think it slams on. The, I think it slams on the brakes of an otherwise freight train of a movie heading in one direction that just doesn't have any bad stops. But it, it, first of all, 
I'm not going to go through and say what's accurate, what's not accurate. If you do just a little bit of research, both Frank Lucas and Richie Roberts are like, yes, we existed. Yes, (laughs) he was a drug dealer uh, and got very rich doing this and, and sort of imported the drugs the way he did. But the rest of it, like Richie Roberts doesn't even have a kid in real life. So that that is entirely made up. Um, yeah. And when I look at it, I sort of understand the screenwriters and, and, and you know, brain trust trying to say, hey, how do we ground this guy with regular people, like regular audience where they have to balance their job and their family. And that becomes a strain as well. But, you know. Some, or you just don't balance it. Yeah. You say, yeah, exactly. fucking take the kid to Vegas and yeah. I'll see him when I see him. And so it, it's sort of one of those that felt, you know, kind of wedged in there. I'm glad Carla Gugino got a check. I'm always happy when she's in a Me movie. Too. But Always happy. Uh, you know, I could have done without that. So I, if I'm doing a tie break between that and say something like Thelma and Louise, I probably go more towards Thelma and Louise as my favorite uh, of his films, but... Totally valid. And if I had just watched Thelma and Louise, I probably would agree with you. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean... It's one of he's those. He's also made, you know, 15 incredible films, and the rest of yes. the rest of his films are also just very good. You know, th- that's kind of... Those are the two lanes he's in for the most part. But um, before we get all the way into this thing, let me talk about budget, box office. Budget finally came in at $100 million. Uh, There was a lot of starts and stops... With this film, Antron Fuqua was going to do this. I think Denzel got paid twice on this movie. Uh, he had a pay for play when it was him and Benicio were going to do it with Antoine Fuqua. And then that got shut down because they wanted to cut the budget to $50 million. And then Will Smith Will, was involved yeah, at one Will point. Will Smith was attached. Um, they were thinking about Brad Pitt as Richie Roberts, which, nah. Um, mm, too good looking. But yeah, but anyway, it ends up. A uh, hundred million dollar budget makes two sixty six global. Um, yeah, that's not bad. That's good bang for your buck. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I'll take that. You know, the two people that you forgot to list on the people that you listed that were in this movie were Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. They are also well. In yeah, this I film. was talking about the 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 main people, not not those two guys, <laughs> <laughs> not the two hacks that they just put on the poster. Well, the thing about RC is, and I have a question for you: um, Was this the start of him cultivating mass? Well, see, the thing is, you got to you got to be easy on my boy because Hollywood has taken him up and down and up and down. See, 99 they mm. said gain a bunch for the insider. Then they're like Ridley's like knock that shit off, Gladiator. All right? Uh-huh. But he's yeah. also he's always taken it very seriously to be the character that he is, and I appreciate that. What they tell him to do for Unhinged? Well, they told him to um again cultivate Cultivate. Um, Cultivate. You, you lead a sudden. Be someone who's going to drive a Ford F one fifty. Hurtful. No need. No need to become personal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about unhinged. I, I just I, let me just don't use my words. Okay, you don't have to take me at my word. Take Roger Ebert what he says about this film. He gave four stars. This is an engrossing story told smoothly and well, and Russell Crowe's contribution is enormous. Now, you decide what he means by enormous. But <laughs> I know what you think he means by enormous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ebert gave it four stars. Great job, Raj. Rolling Stone, three and a half stars. Says Washington and Crow, Clash Like Titans. There's something to see. Like it's a, When I was going to go look up reviews, I sort of remembered this being a little bit more panned than it was. It, it seems like it was generally well-received. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I also agree with that it was panned when it came out. I don't remember anybody talking about this movie. I feel like it came and went in like a week. Like when I looked up and saw that it made 266, I'm like, really? And it did make 
I want to say it was like 140-ish domestic. So yeah. it made yeah, about it that. made money. Like that's Yeah, like one one thirty domestic yeah. and it's people are gonna go see a Denzel movie. Yeah, of course. I mean that's a lot of people. People are gonna who, go see an RC movie. Yeah, especially in 07. Like it, that is everyone saw their turn in virtuosity. And so everyone was like all hyped yep. to get these guys back They're together. They're like, are we going to get to see RC's ass again? I feel confident <laughs> that Sid 6. Point, what was it? Sid 6.0? 6. 6.0, 6. yeah. Gonna, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that's that <laughs> I just not recommending that movie yeah, to anyone. That might that might come up later. That might come up a little later in the show. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, I figured it would. <laughs> but, uh, but no, so we I, we got to talk about where Denzel and Russell were like in the zeitgeist at this time because it's it's easy like Denzel's always going to be Denzel right he's gone he's had what thirty five years now of just incredible work and he comes from that you know that little slice of time where you could go soap opera TV and become the biggest movie star in the world and saying elsewhere saying elsewhere right, right. Like and so he he kind of came from all of that. And just kept doing this incredible, incredible work. Obviously did some marvelous stuff with Spike, uh, Glory, you know, just kept doing this great work. And then all of a sudden... Preacher's wife. Yeah. But but I think the thing that's interesting about Denzel is he has done much what like Ridley Scott has done, which is I'm going to do prestige picture, but then I'm going to do like Man on Fire. You know, I'm going to do Equalizer. And they're going to be equally as successful. And I'm going to be engrossing in both. You know, sometimes you find these A-list actors that you just can't buy in one of those roles. And they, he can play anything. And I love Denzel. Do not get me wrong yeah. when I say this. And I might have mentioned this before. I always see Denzel in every role yes. he's playing. He's one of those actors. But he's perfect. He's charismatic. You believe him in everything. I believe Denzel Washington could be everyone he's playing. Yes, and that's that's the trick, right? That's the one where you just go, I look at it, I see Denzel, but I'm like, yeah, I remember when Denzel was running heroin in, you know, in, in Harlem. I remember that. Or I remember when he was heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. I, I totally remember when he was, you know, trying to stop trains that were unstoppable. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I, I just, you just buy him. He's just instant credibility. And he's one of the few, I mean, literally handful, maybe less than a handful of people that right now, if they open a movie, can open a movie and people just are like, I don't care what it is. I want to see Denzel. You know, RC, I'm not sure ever got to that. I think RC was an incredible actor and went on a 10 year run that is really hard to match. But I'm not sure because he never became Hollywood. Like that's another thing Denzel was always able to do was to be both Hollywood and private, which is uniquely hard to do. RC never had that. RC was like, just leave me the fuck alone. I want to do the work and never garnered that popularity to be able to transition into being the biggest star in the world. Even if he was nominated for three straight best actor awards, even if he went on this tear from, you know, 97 to 07, where just not a miss, just zero misses. Well, didn't he play like basically he was on the Australian version of 90210 and that was kind of where he got his stuff. No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> like, uh, he was <laughs> Russ LaRock in a band in Australia. That that may have taken off. I'm not sure. No, he did not get his start on Degrassi or anything like that. <laughs> that, that is not the case with him. But Sharon Stone had a big part in uh, his career. Yes. Well, and she was correct. Like she's absolutely correct. 
I read it was going around the internet the other day that I guess Sharon Stone talked about how she paid Leo's salary on the Quick and the Dead because the studio didn't want Leo. Really, I did not. I, yes. I actually I want to read her book that just came out. I was strolling through Target the other day and realized it had come out because I I knew she was doing the press for it, and mm-hmm. that that's going to be a fun book. Like there's going to be fun stuff in that. I'm um, sure. Maybe you got to get the audio of that one though. If you did for Greenlight, yeah. You if do I it did hers. it for Owen McConaughey, then I will listen to somebody who's not <laughs> just. <laughs> Let's just to say out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, RC, obviously my love for him is well known, but these two guys in 07 were just, I mean, the two biggest actors in the world? Just about. Just about, right? Leo maybe up there at the yeah, time? Yeah, Leo's probably up there. I mean, this is four years after training day. You know, this is a few years after Cinderella Man. And I mean, it, like, they're just in this pocket of if you want two people to be in a movie. It's going to be these two guys, and if you can, and if you can put them man to man, competing against each other in some way, like the the pressure cooker of this movie is to get to that last fifteen minutes when they're finally on screen together. Well, I wanted to talk about that real yeah. quick here, okay? Because that to me, and there's been a few moments in film, and I can't name all of them, and I only thought of a few, but this is obviously one of them where it's. I don't know what you would call it. Um, I like to call it tantric filmmaking. Sure, you're just waiting for that moment and you to explode, mm-hmm. and you get it with this one. Yes, you get it with Heat. Okay, yes. where you finally get De Niro and uh, Pacino in that diner. Finally, oh my god! I would argue you get it with Hoffman and Streep in Kramer versus Kramer when they finally come together. I know you don't agree with you're that. You're more of a Hoffman guy. I'm going to throw that out there. Like, you're more of a Hoffman guy, but. You get it with Leo and Brad throughout Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> you do. whenever they're together. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe the most one you get it with is, um, you know, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and Scream. Obviously. Finally, those two titans together. It, it, it happened for us, and thank you, <laughs> uh, Kevin Williamson. We appreciate it. <laughs> we really so do. I, I want to go I, – I want to just bring this up because I mentioned the run. Here's Russell Crowe, 97. I'm going to go 97 to 07 for you. L.A. Confidential, Mystery Alaska, The Insider, Gladiator, Proof of Life, which we'll talk about later, A Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, Cinderella Man, A Good Year, 310 to Yuma, American Gangster. That's just a crazy run. I mean, and then he does it's crazy. He does Body of Lies right after that, which was well thought of. And, you know, it's just a, it's a mess of a screenplay. It's just not coherent at all what's going on in that. And again, you're sort of asked to buy Leo as a hard guy and. <laughs> that, that's the toughest sell in Leo's career, to be honest with you. So, but that that ten years is just absolutely crazy. And I know you still haven't seen Master and Commander, have you? No, it's on my list. So I, I need to just sit down and watch it when I have you know four hours. Yeah, when you do your Peter Weir weekend, your Peter Weir rewatch, exactly. Just get Das Boot going and Peter Weirathon. <laughs> but I, you know, Mystery Alaska, great movie, just fantastic stuff. Uh, so even the light Mystery Alaska there, is a hilarious movie. It is because I just don't know when they realized we have Russell Crowe in the movie, so we need to do a little something else other than what the script was. And oh, by the way, we have Burt Reynolds too. <laughs> well, I feel I feel like Crowe signed up for Mystery Alaska right as because between L.A. Confidential and The Insider, there's Heaven's Burning, Breaking Up, and Mystery Alaska, which are obviously the the other two movies he clearly signed on for prior to L.A. Confidential. Like because between Quick and the Dead and LA Confidential, there's some real shit. Like some real <laughs> shit. 
He goes for his Tom Hardy, this means war phase. Yeah, is that exactly. what we're talking here? Like if we could fight, <laughs> if I could get into a romantic comedy, because he is in a romantic comedy called Rough Magic with Bridget Fonda and Paul Rodriguez that I have seen. How is that? It is something to see, Jed. And I think you should see it and report back to me. Because you had me until you said Paul Rodriguez. Oh, it is. Let's because I'll watch his son ride a skateboard any day. <laughs> I don't want to see him act. He is like I, I can't remember if he gets turned into like some food or something. There's mat. There's actual magic, and it's very weird. It's a very very weird movie. Is it like that? What was the movie with? Uh, oh. Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not not the movie version, but the the TV version. Sarah Michelle Gellar okay. wasn't she in a movie where she was like a baker and there was magic involved? I don't know. Oh man, I yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. This is pretty this, sure is, this is a movie. nice this is a nice little view for all of us into what's going on in your brain. No, nah, I swear to God, she was in something where she like baked aphrodisiac cookies or some <laughs> shit. I don't know. Yeah, rough magic. If you can find it, I, I will say it's worth the watch. But it is like it's right after Virtuosity, and you can tell he's just like signing off for these movies. But I do think Mystery Alaska is where they were like, maybe we beef up the John Beebe role uh, because he's <laughs> real popular after this LA Confidential thing. So maybe a little couple rewrites, but it's a fun movie. But anyway, and and you know. Denzel's career it goes without saying so I just can't believe they got all these people but we also have to remember that this is before John Hawks was really anything this was early she would tell nobody knew who he was early Idris yeah. nobody knew who he was this is Brolin's coming out year with American Gangster and No Country for Old Men you know Cuba he was probably third I think easily third most famous person in this movie yeah, and he only has he's what, not in it very much. Four he's perfect though. No, he not, is so good. He's so good. He's so good as Nikki. It would have been. He's so it good. Would not have been surprising to have seen a uh, supporting actor nomination for his character if this wasn't a two hander between Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. Yeah, if it was just yeah. like the Denzel show and it was about Frank Lucas and that was it, I think Cuba gets uh, a supporting actor nom there, but. You know, Common hadn't really been in a bunch of movies. Armand Asante, which, you know, he did his Armand Asante thing. That's just what he does now. Yeah. Like, that's it. He really he really did. He re- he was great in that Odysseus, like the yes. Odyssey. TNT. Was it a TNT I love that. I, I know exactly what that you're talking so about. Good. I know. I, Man, that was I good. I just love that story. I want Hollywood to really go in and make that for real, not a B-movie version of that with no, Harry Hamlin. No, that's a great I want them story. to go in and, like, make the shit out of that that movie. Um, speaking of shit out of a movie, the movie is called Simply Irresistible from 1999. Gotcha. And so it stars Sarah Michelle Gellar. After her mother's death, mediocre chef Amanda Shelton is having trouble attracting customers to her family's restaurant. While shopping for ingredients, she is given a magical crab by mysterious Jean O'Reilly. Afterward, Amanda's dishes suddenly become excellent, inducing strong emotional reactions in everyone who eats them. Tom Bartlett, who is preparing to open his own eatery, tries her cooking and falls in love. So, guys, this is how you know we don't have breakdowns and we don't share like a Google Doc for what's going to happen in the American Gangster episode because a full read of the synopsis of 99 Simply Irresistible wasn't something I expected to have happen. But to return the favor, just so you know, here's what Rough Magic is. <laughs> Set in the 1950s, Rough Magic tells the story of what happens when a pretty apprentice magician goes to Mexico to escape her fiancé, a wealthy politician, and to find a Mayan shaman who will teach her ancient principles of magic. 
She is being trailed by a detective hired by her fiancé. He's a former photojournalist traumatized by what he saw in Hiroshima. The photojournalist joins her in this search for the Mayan shaman and falls in love with her. The feeling is not reciprocated. When she finds the shaman, (laughs) she drinks a potion which empowers her to do magic. The potion has life-changing effects on her and her relationship with her companion. They have strange experiences which are brought about by magic. I love it. I think we each got to watch. We each have to watch. Yeah, that's that's going to be a quick burn. Yeah. Is okay, dude. You watch Rough Magic. I watch Simply Irresistible. <laughs> what are we discuss? Just, yeah, just go like give that. That's a theme. That's like a an eighth grade theme that we're supposed to write. So <laughs> tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. <laughs> that's all I remember. <laughs> so anyway, back to American Gangster. Uh, the thing that. I mean, this movie, when it came out, do you remember, I, I guess we're a little late in the episode, but do you remember the first time you saw it? I think I rented it, actually. Really? I rented it. I did not see this in the theater. Okay. I did not see this in the theater. This was 2007. Yes. I was probably graduating college or finishing up college. when I don't remember when it came out. I don't remember the release date exactly. Should have looked that one up. 07. I'm, I'm assuming November 07. Yeah. So I was, yeah, had recently graduated college not too long before that. So starting a new job. Yeah. Just didn't go to the movie. Yeah. November 2nd, 2007, which I have no doubt is the day that I saw it. I definitely saw this opening weekend there. I mean, you had Russell and Denzel, two of my favorites of all time. 70s New York, all in drug dealing, bad cops, good cops, a crazy score. Because I don't know if you remember, but like Jay-Z was big into... Like he did his album, oh, yeah, and so mm-hmm. like that was a huge thing he was doing, and so like everything around this movie was just basically saying, "Cole, come see me. Cole, you're gonna love this. Cole, we made this for you. <laughs> like this is a personal <laughs> gift to you from me, Ridley Scott." So the life and times of Cole Williams, Volume One. Yeah, exactly. So I, I couldn't <laughs> like there was nothing about this movie that could have failed, and I was actually worried when I went to it, like, "Oh shit, have I?" I'm asking this to be too much. I'm already asking it to be too much. And then you're what, five minutes into the movie and you got dudes getting set on fire and you got less than that. The first fucking shot of the movie. It's insane. It's just, it was incredible. Like I was without doing crazy movements with the camera, like you were talking about and without having explosions and these wild thematic elements, it was just flying by. It was just mm-hmm. rocking and rolling, and you realize we we don't even have what I think the movie's about yet. We're just mm-hmm. we because the problem is I think in twenty twenty is this this is a this isn't even a movie right? This would be a ten episode like HBO series easily. Easily, there's no way they would make this a movie. And this movie yeah. runs uh, I think it's like two twenty if you're not doing the director's cut two fifteen something like that. Yeah, the direct- yeah, director's cut's like 255. Yeah, so maybe this is more like the two and a half a- arena. But mm-hmm. A, it doesn't actually feel that long. I don't think it's anywhere close to feeling that long. But no. you get such a flavor for all the communities that are in this movie. You get a flavor for the bad cops, the good cops. And it doesn't feel like you've like dipped a nugget into each sauce. It feels like you actually have consumed enough to understand what is going on with all of these different elements. And because of that, there's a much greater appreciation for the movie. And I think this is a really good example of a movie um, to explain kind of what's been going on with film Twitter the last couple of days, which if you guys are on it, there's just been this 
you know, basic complaining about movies are too long. These, you know, you can do a great movie in 80 minutes. You know, has anyone seen before sunset, you know, that sort of thing. And you're like, okay, here's the thing. And again, Roger Ebert said it best and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially what it boils down to is a good movie is never long enough. And a bad movie is never too short. Okay. Very true. Uh, Or never short enough. Like that is, that's the key. Like if you have, my boy KC has been saying this forever because he gets jumped on for having long movies. It's like, if you have a story enough to fill two and a half or three hours, then that's how long it takes to tell your story. You know, and it's really interesting to me to see these people who will binge eight hours of a show, but say two and a half hours for a movie is just way too long. It's like, would you ever say, well, that canvas for that painting, that's just too large. Right. You know, <laughs> what are you doing there? It's, it's art, man. Yeah. And if you don't like the art, then you don't like that, that art. Fine art you like. How many times have you and I talked about like our issue with Judd Apatow is like, man, these movies are just feel like 25 thick. And it, it mm-hmm. comes down to it's not that I'm not willing to watch a two hour and 20 minute comedy. It's that an hour and 50 minute version of this movie cuts out what slows down this movie. Like the story does not satisfy the time. Margot Robbie recently said, and I don't know if it's true. Maybe this was an April Fool's thing, but I did read a headline. There is a 20 hour version yeah. of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'll watch I'll it. I'll watch it. Oh, I'll watch it tomorrow. I'll put the time yep. in. Doesn't matter to me. That, that sounds okay. like I got vacation time. That sounds like what this podcast was made for. And then you know what? Exactly. We might get to the end of it and go. You know what? It was supposed to be a two and a half hour movie. That was <laughs> yeah. No, that was three way, hours. Was good. Way too many feet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, this movie to me. Not once last night, and Jesse and I were rewatching this last night. You know, it's a work night. We both got to get up early and go do stuff. And not one time we're like, man, it's okay. Oh, we've seen the end. We can, you know, we know what's going to happen. We can (laughs) cash it in now. Part of that is because I can't wait to see Denzel and Russell just kind of go back to back, you know, toe to toe or whatever. But it's just, it's, you want to be there until it tells you that it's done, which is not the case for a ton of movies. I have a question for you that's probably unanswerable, but um, I'm going to ask it. Perfect. Was what Frank did that difficult? Going into the heart of Vietnam there to get the heroin directly from the supplier. Yes. And cutting out the middleman. Yes. It was made to look fairly easy in the film is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going the other way and I was like, no, it was, it's incredibly hard. (laughs) It's incredibly (laughs) hard. Yes. Anything we're doing is. But my, that's my point is that's, you know, I don't have gripes with this film. That's not what it is. But every, you know, the, the more I watch it, the more I'm like. I understand we got to get him rolling as right. the drug kingpin, and we got to make that happen. It looks like he put on an army uniform, took a boat for a day, and was like, all right, cool. So I don't want to have to come here again, so just start shipping it. Right. Well, and, and I think the thing is that we don't know enough about Nate. Like, we know Nate's his cousin, and that's kind of the whole deal. And I think that's where a TV show would probably have an episode dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. But I I do appreciate that while I'm curious— that's not this movie. Um, the movie is, you need to know, he used the United States military to smuggle in pure keys of heroin. That's what you need to know. And that's that in and of itself is a great movie. Like, combine that with the story of American Made. You know, I, I, show me those mm. movies, you know. But That's a mean movie. Oh, dude, that, that is, like, no one talks about it. I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've obviously mentioned everybody that, like, the whole supporting cast that was in this movie. What, like, 
who, if you can remember at the time you saw this, stood out to you to be like, I don't know who that is, but boy, do I want to see them in more stuff. It's a good question, and I'm going to have an answer that I don't think uh, you're expecting at all. John Ortiz. Really? His partner, who I... There was something about him and his performance in this. Then Silver Linings Playbook, he pops up again. Great in that. He's great in... I want to say it's Fast and the Furious 4 or 5, as he's like the real guy who's who's doing the, the, the damage here. He is... So charismatic and captivating to uh-huh. me, he draws me in, and I'm just I'm locked in yep. to him. Because John Hawks, I remember from that that was the case with Perfect Storm. Yep. In in the scenes that he's You're like, in, who's that dude? Yep. And Chewie Tell, I really liked in this movie, but he didn't have that for me. He didn't draw me in. Ted Levine, I always loved. Yeah, but you know, um, the, it, but, but we've all seen him from Silence of the Lambs. Like he's yeah, not a new guy, of, of course. John Ortiz was the guy where I was like, man, and he's just in the beginning. But he's so, every time I put this on, I'm like, all right, the beginning, I got some John Ortiz scenes here coming. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I feel like a bigger career for him got stolen by Clifton Collins Jr. Because I feel like they were yeah. probably up for... Which I love, Oh, too. yeah, Clifton Collins Jr. is incredible. But I feel like they probably are going out for a lot of the same parts. And, you know, they're, they're both excellent. Uh, I, I too, every time I watch this, I see John Ortiz and I'm like, man, what the fuck happened to that guy? Like, damn, he's good. Because he plays a tough... And there's a lot of people who play tough characters in this movie without becoming caricatures because, as we've talked about any number of times in previous episodes, playing drunk is an extremely difficult task. Playing high, it's very easy to do that. As I was just watching Once Upon a Time in uh, in Hollywood again a couple weeks ago, obviously perfect film, but at the end, you know, the girl that's in the car... That where they're getting ready to go to the house, she's like, "Come on, man! Like, come on, man!" And you're yeah. like, "Yep, that's yeah, doing her Dennis yeah. Hopper thing." And yeah. it's like, I know what you're doing, and no, like, we're in fucking Hollywood, man. Yeah. That whole thing yeah. is, yeah, I know. and so it's a little much. Nobody's like high tripping, sort of panicky, anxiety ridden um, uh, acting in this movie really takes me out of anything. But I'm gonna go ahead and you know, I don't disagree with you about she would tell, although. I was really like, she would tell got to me in love actually, and he's not in it very much. But I was like, who's this guy? You know, he just has that look. He's got the smile. He's got the voice, and he, he's got charisma, even though he doesn't do much in that movie. So I, that's kind of where he I clocked him. But Idris Elba, I had no idea who that was. I had no clue, and it was like, who is this dude telling Denzel to get him a light? And did it because you've seen people go up with Denzel in movies that are trying to like intimidate him. And you can see that they're scared about the guy that they're trying to intimidate. And you can see that it's not part of the movie. It's, it's kind of what I give Chris Pine a lot of credit for in Unstoppable. I never doubt sort of his chestiness with Denzel, which is surprising. Because mm-hmm. like, if you hear anything about Denzel, super prepared, ultimate professional, you know, a kind guy, but like. With that kindness comes expectation that you will be a professional as well. You will come in and you will do the things that you've been hired to do. So to have Idris Elba come in and in a short part, he's in like three scenes. But, you know, the scene where he's trying to collect and, you know, Denzel coming up. Can, I'll tell you what, can we just play the scene where he's trying to collect in the diner? But you ain't see the job, Frank. Mm-hmm. I think you walk right past it. The money job, Frank. What, what I got to do, put a fucking sign on it? Mm. 
at this nigga right here. You know, Frank, Bumpy don't own 116th no more. Bumpy don't own no real estate in Harlem right now. I'm the landlord and the lease is 20%. But look, don't, don't sell dope then, Frank. Get a real job. You need a fucking job, Frank? Hmm? Is that what you need? Well, you can come work for me. Okay, you can drive me around. Huh? You can open my doors. Huh? Yes, sir. No, sir. Right away, sir. It'll do you well, Mr. Johnson. 20%. 20 is my profit, Tango. If I give you that, what do I got left? Nothing, right? 20% puts me out of business and every somebody you know out of business. There's legitimate ways of doing things, Tango, and then there's this way. Not even Bumpy took 20%. Bumpy's fucking dead. Twenty percent. The rolling up of the napkin. I love it. There, there is a way to do things, and there's a way not to do things. <laughs> <laughs> or, not even Bumpy took twenty percent. <laughs> but like, I was, I was sort of like, I don't know who that is. I did not know who Idris Elba was at the time, and I was. All about like, I don't know where that guy's going to go. I hope I see him again. And, you know, obviously he became Idris Elba for good reason because he's extremely good. Later on in the movie when Frank Lucas, played by Denzel, obviously, shoots Idris Elba's character right in the head. Mm -hmm. Idris Elba's security guard, he's nowhere to be seen. No, he's done with that. After that, no, he's done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's gone. That's it. It, It's over. And that scene is is like one of the first times in the movie where you're like, holy shit. Yeah. What, this is for real. And there's a lot of sort of inciting incidents in the movie that take you out of this. It, I feel like this movie kind of Venus flytraps you, right? It's all beautiful and it's it's stylized, gritty but stylized, and then you get comfortable in it and then it just sort of wraps you up and then attacks you a little bit and shocks yeah. you to your like, oh my God, I, what's going on? And that scene obviously is is a perfect example of it. I really thought you were going to say RZA. I love the RZA. He's going to come up. I love the RZA too. He's a very good actor. He, I just saw Nobody this weekend. He's really good in that. Uh, obviously, we may find him in recommendations later. Uh, don't be shocked. <laughs> uh, but yeah. He's doing his Thelonious thing on a piano. I love when he says that. I just, I think that Ridley Scott's just like, do whatever you want, man. This will start the scene this way. I think the problem with it is like, I that was the first time I had seen the RZA act, but I knew who he was. So I, I think that it wasn't like it was more like oh that's Ti or oh that's Riza but it was for Idris it was I never have seen you I don't know who you are yeah but you are you're holding your own and that's that's impressive so um yeah it's it's just so many good people in this movie and I couldn't stop like Jesse was getting to me last night and she was like could you please like I get it there's a lot of people <laughs> I just kept going oh my god. <laughs> Can you believe this cast? He's like, I know it's a great cast. I hear you. I love you. Can we move on? <laughs> so the film starts off in Harlem in 1968. I looked it up. Frank Lucas, born September 9th, 1930. Does Denzel look 38 years old to you in the beginning of this film? Dude, Denzel looks 35 forever. Does he look 38 now? I know you're saying he looks okay. older. I know you're saying he looks older, but... it's the. It, I'm not saying it's off-putting or anything like that, but 
that's the part of the Idris Elba talking to him in the beginning yeah. where he's talking down to him and he's cleaning the coaster off and wiping it and saying, get me a light. I'm like, and that's Denzel's presence. Right. But Denzel also does not look 38 years old. No. To me right there. No. At, at all. And the whole bumpy dynamic and that character, I guess, I haven't watched it, but on Epics, there's uh, Godfather of Harlem, which is about Bumpy Johnson starring Forrest Whitaker. And it's a series. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I yeah. watched the shit yeah, out of I'm that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on Epics. But yeah, I, I need to watch it too. I'm one of the five people that has Epics, so I can do that. <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that's interesting about that scene, though, is Frank is plotting and planning around that funeral, obviously. But did you notice he's not standing up like, you know, cocksure yet, like shoulders back? Nope. Up straight. He still has that hunched over serving, taking care of things. Like I'm still sort of the assistant posture. I, I think I looked at that as him being weaker and then you realize after you know he sits there and he's like these people think i i've forgotten about the money they owe bumpy i'm gonna collect like you just realize it's plotting and you yep. you understand from the opening scene where he shoots the guy that's on fire that he's a menace he's vicious but he's also got some somewhat of a heart to shoot him so he doesn't burn to death um you know sort of give him that reprieve and then you start i think realizing that analytical brain starts to starts to work and I really appreciate it. And I think that's where Denzel, not that Denzel doesn't excel at everything, but that quiet, methodical, charismatic, low-key confidence that he has, which I think is why Training Day was so surprising to a lot of people where you're like, this isn't really, the bombastic Denzel is not something that we see a ton of. Uh, but, you know, that is just his, his comfort zone. But I do want to talk, as I have to, about like how Russell Crowe played Richie Roberts. Because would you agree that when Russell Crowe came out, it was like manly man machismo parts? Yeah, totally agree with you that. You know, like obviously yeah. obviously Gladiator, but, you know, L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential. He's a very imposing yeah, figure. Yeah, it's, it's all about masculinity. Romper Stomper, like Quick and the Dead. These are all masculine, you know, manly men, whatever that means, character. I didn't realize until this movie how much I really enjoy like vulnerable, unsure, um, shy Russell Crowe. And I really don't remember having seen that until I saw this. Cause you're expecting like Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe, death match, like that sort of thing. And then, you know, <laughs> when they show you Denzel, Denzel's strutting through in nice suits, like dominating the world. And this dude, is like, yeah, they show him hooking up with women, which is just, I, I don't even understand the point of that. But I, I don't either. It always shock. <laughs> it doesn't shock me, but it's like, okay. Like, I mean, I don't, am I supposed to buy Richie Roberts as a playboy? I don't. But, you yeah. know, like when he's at law school, night school, and he's like, can't get his shit together. And he's like, but but we see him bust through doors and, and beat up Kevin Corrigan. You're like, okay, he's comfortable being kind of a thug, but he's uncomfortable trying to do anything intellectual or, or whatever. And I just hadn't seen that flex on him before because I, I certainly don't count a beautiful mind as that sort of – that's not to me a vulnerable character. Um, that's just a, a character who's, who's struggling with some sort of mental illness. This is that like sort of human element to Russell Crowe that I hadn't seen before that I, I don't know if it turned people off. But for me it was – it allowed me to really enjoy some of the parts that he's done here in the last – you know handful of years where he plays a little bit more, um, you know, gentle or unsure or, you know, whatever that may be. 
Well, I will say I, I agree with everything you're saying. And uh, to me, there's two parts that really exemplify it. The, the first one being when he goes up against Josh Brolin, when he's following the money, literally, yep. and he goes up against him. Most of the time you would expect a, an actor of his stature to be like a Denzel and not back down from Brolin. But he totally backs down. Oh, I like your car. That's uh, that's my money. You know, it's kind of, it's registered. Uh, the serial numbers they they, they match. It's, it's mine, guys. But uh, you know, I just you know it's and Josh Brolin is the alpha in that situation, and it's it just shows the range of RC and the ability to do that, and then the payoff at Absolutely. the end when Brolin comes in. That's great. It all works out perfectly. And the other scene is when he finally gets his group of guys together. Yes. And I believe it's Riza who's like, I heard a story that you turned in that money and you can just see it on RC's face. He's like, yeah, you know, I think about it every day. I, <laughs> I could be down doing things in Florida right now, but but I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So but it's, it's really a testament to that range. And that is one of the things, and I don't want to say it's been a fault of Denzel, but I literally, and maybe this is just me not being up on his filmography as much as I should, outside of The Preacher's Wife, I don't see Denzel ever having to do that. No. I think there was an argument someone made that Denzel could not be Tom Hanks in Castaway because when have you seen Denzel not seem like he has everything together? Yeah, and, and, and I think, yeah, 100%. I agree with that. But I think that that comes with that instant credibility that Denzel gives you. Like, there's a calm that comes over me when I see Denzel Washington on screen. He's, he's going to take care of me. In this, like whatever it is, he's going to take care of even in training day. He's a monster, right? Like he's the terrible villain who's trying to kill everybody and, you know, kills his best friend mm-hmm. and, and all these things. And you're like, I kind of, I'd be okay if he got away. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, I'd be all right with it. As long as he's going to kill Jake, you know. And when he's tried it, I don't know that it's actually worked because I guess the most recent one would probably be Roman J. Israel, which was Okay, it was okay, and that was that was him. The story wasn't very good, in my opinion. And I think he can do it. I don't want to. I'm not trying to say that he can't. He needs the right role, and he needs it to be in the hands of someone who really understands how to do that. Because I think Denzel is very similar to post Godfather Two and Dog Day Afternoon Al Pacino, where I don't think after that anybody ever told Al Pacino how to act or how to do anything. It was you do whatever the fuck you want, you're Al Pacino. Well, and I, but I think with Denzel too is he's like he's very carefully cultivated, kind of like I was talking earlier, between these prestige parts and and you know, movies or or adapting stage plays as August Wilson stuff, or doing like, you know, the Tony Scott catalog. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is who I'm going to be. Because you do see him in glory become weak. You know, he's angry. He does he does sort of get broken down and then built back up and, and all those things. So you see that range, I think, maybe in a little bit more younger Denzel. You know, there, there's a movie that nobody has seen uh, called Mississippi Masala where uh, he's dating an Indian woman. And, you know, it's about, you know, can they make it work and everything. And there's there's subtler performances because he's not a huge movie star yet that I think he dips into or that character dips into a little bit more the side you're talking about that you are not going to see anymore. Like, that's just not going to happen. But to to your point, I was going to bring up Tom Hanks earlier because I think Tom Hanks and Denzel, roughly the same age, and they kind of have they, they were at the same career trajectory at the same time. They obviously converge with Philadelphia. And... God, so good. You know, as good as Hanks is in that movie, Denzel is also just 
cannot take my eyes off of how good he is. Um, but I don't think Tom Hanks could ever do a, a drug kingpin. I don't think he could ever pull off leader of a crime syndicate. I, you know, he can't, there, there's, there are limitations to Tom Hanks. And I think the greatness of Tom Hanks, the greatness of Denzel Washington, the greatness of a lot of A-list actors and actresses is understanding what their limitations may be. And I mean, like I, Daniel Day-Lewis did that. He knew what his limitations were. He knew what he could and couldn't do. Because I've seen Daniel Day-Lewis try to be in sort of a lighthearted, almost not romantic comedy, but like father-daughter type com- you know, like comedy, dramedy, whatever. It's like whatever. You're like, oh, that's cool. That's Daniel Day-Lewis. But that's, that's, that's not great. What are your thoughts on Road to Perdition? I like Road to Perdition. I like the movie. What do you think of Hanks' performance? He's okay. I, he's cold. He's calculating, which I buy. He's not evil maniacal. Um, it's a lot closer to, and I hate to keep bringing up the Irishman, but it's a lot closer to Robert De Niro's character in The Irishman, where it's like, this is the job, man. This is what I do. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard not to go back to that scene where his kid sees what he does for a living, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But that movie gets shit on quite a bit, but I, I, I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's good. No, it's 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 a watchable film and it's an enjoyable one. It's not one that I ever want to go back to yeah. and watch again. Yeah. As opposed to him in the terminal, which I could watch. Yeah, you love that every movie. Day. You love the terminal. Well, it's so good. Yeah. And it's been on recently. <laughs> I watch it sometimes. It's yeah, it's, a lot it's actually. Good. You know, Rachel is very sick and tired of seeing it. She's like, "Wasn't this just fucking on?" I'm like, "Yeah," and, and it's, it's on <laughs> and again. We have multiple TVs, Rachel. Uh, it's Stanley Tucci. <laughs> What more do you want? Stanley Tucci also having himself a nice little renaissance thanks to Prince William. Oh, really? Yeah, there was some, like, uh, we don't need to get into British politics. But anyway, uh, they came out with Prince William, best looking bald man on earth. And a lot of Stanley Tucci fans were like, well, first of all, there's Stanley Tucci and every other bald man on earth before we get to Prince William. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's great. But um, I forgot Stanley Tucci and Meryl Streep, another powerhouse. Absolutely. I mean, Devil Wears Prada, that's legit, man. Everything in that movie, Julie and Julia. Um, but yeah, it, it the range of these guys is unquestionable. But they certainly have, I think, the lanes that they're the most comfortable in. And it was just weird for me to see, like I said, that Russell Crowe maturation or or different, you know, gear that I hadn't seen that shows up tremendously in something like Boy Erased. You know, you just if you would ask me in 05, can uh, can Russell Crowe play this character in Boy Erased? I'd be like, I love Russell Crowe. Probably get somebody else. You know, go a different <laughs> way, but fantastic stuff. In um, 1970s New York, do you think the police department was this corrupt? Yes, I do. Yeah, did not have okay. a hard time believing just, that. Just, I don't have a hard time believing it, but I'm just, I marvel at it. I just marvel at, so if they find a million dollars, they're supposed to keep it and that's it? I wish that was my job. I just I, I love how it's like, look, maybe this says something about me as a person, but I feel like these cops were like, look, I, I take a few grand here. I take a few grand there. I'm not saying that's OK, but they're like, oh, since he didn't take a million dollars in unmarked bills, then he's going to turn me in for taking a thousand bucks off of a drug dealer that, you know, I shot or whatever it is. I'm like, that is just I, I don't understand the logic. But I love the beat cops that were in there like, fucking traitor. Like, dude, you write parking tickets. Like, what are you talking about? But my question about this 
And again, obviously pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, all that stuff. Does nobody in the police department know who Richie's childhood friends are? And that he's one person removed from the leader of the Italian mob? (laughs) Just like, oh, my wife told, you know... The lawyer about the her lawyer about this and or social services about it. It's like, how does nobody else know at this point? Like, dude, you're there every weekend playing fucking baseball with them. Yeah, you know, I don't hang out with these low lives, but you know, I do play baseball once a week with all of them. <laughs> that's a lot of baseball, dog. Like, that's a ton, a of, lot that's of, baseball. A ton of baseball. A lot of baseball. I love that they made it baseball, not softball. Like a bunch of these forty year old men are out there strapping on you know, yeah. catcher's gear and. You know, <laughs> legging out, fucking infield single. Give me a break. Um, speaking of baseball, can we introduce a new segment, maybe only on this episode? Um, sports talk with Cole. I'd love to, of course. And let's just let's just discuss Ti uh-huh. as the pitcher extraordinaire who can throw ninety five mile an hour. Yeah, fa- harder than Gibson. Harder than Gibson. Who, I don't, is it? Kurt Gibson? Is that who they're talking about? Who are they talking Bob about? Bob Gibson, my friend. That'd be Bob Gibson. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, on the short list of greatest pitchers of all time. But yes, they're talking about Him, Bob Gibson. Nolan Ryan, and Oral Hershey. And T.I. Correct? Yep. <laughs> T.I., yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, we've mentioned this on, a, on some previous episodes of sort of, has this actor ever met sport? And I have no <laughs> doubt that T.I. has you know, played sports in his life, maybe, but I don't really think baseball was a big part of that upbringing because for somebody who's supposed to, you know, rocket 95, uh, looks like he's struggling a little bit to both catch and throw in that backyard. Now, my question for you is, and I know obviously you were not around in 1970s baseball. I wasn't. Could you make a ton of money if you were one of the starting pitchers on the Yankees? For the time, yeah, you make a bank. And you know what your uncle does for a living. Yep. What choice would you make if you had the 95-mile-an-hour heater? Well, I will say this. <laughs> you make good bank, but you know Frank Lucas says, and it hasn't been uh, verified, but he says he was making roughly a million a day. Uh, That's a lot of money. Selling heroin. So the starting pitcher for the Yankees isn't making a million a day. I'll say that. <laughs> He also not going to jail. No, no, but see, <laughs> eventually, you know, if you're down in the syndicate, you know, you're only gonna do about seven. So, but this is a good transition outside of Sports Corner, sure. Which is, <laughs> seems, do you understand seamless transitions as always? <laughs> <laughs> I should come up with a little sound effect, uh, <laughs> just a little PowerPoint wipe. That's it. That's all we need. Um, do you understand the mentality of I was making a million dollars a day, I have 250 million in the bank. Why are you still dealing drugs? No, I'd be out. I'd be out. <laughs> I've ne- like this is this is my problem with every movie about rich people. I don't care if it's <laughs> same way. I don't care like I have this thought every time I'm watching Wolf of Wall Street. He's like I made 50 or 49 million last year and I'm pissed off cuz it was short a million a week. I'm like I would have retired seven weeks into that year, maybe nine yeah. weeks into that year. Yeah. Um, yep. And Zuckerberg. Yeah. Step the fuck down. Yeah, I'm out. Okay. Like, I just, <laughs> just don't. Why do you need this anymore? I don't have it in me. If all of a sudden, you know, I take the law office of Cole Williams public and 
you know, my share and it's worth a, worth a hefty, hefty amount. As soon as the parameters are lifted to where I can sell my share, y'all can have it. I'm out. Yeah. Um, I can find other things to do with my time, but basically allow me to do whatever the fuck I want without worrying about money. Yeah. We record probably way more consistently if I had this. Well, slow down, pump the brakes on. (laughs) But no, it's, yeah, I, I never understand that whether it's drug dealers, whether it's, uh, you know, scamming Wall Street, whether whatever it is, like once somebody's like, man, I made like 14 million this month out, done, hit the stop button, eject. Done. I just have never. And, you know, I guess we don't hear those stories about the people that do that and then just like, OK, <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny if they're like, oh, we're here. But it's very important that our stories don't get told because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want that to be a thing. Um, I have a question for you, another unanswerable one. I love the unanswerable ones. It takes all the pressure off. I can just say, nah, I got it. How much martial arts training, because uh, I know he's very method and he's very into what he does. How much martial arts training would you say RC went through in order to get that kick to the head <laughs> correct and then follow it up with the chase that is point break-esque but then ends with a sweep? <laughs> I'm just wondering, do you think he's more... More Eagle Fang or Miyagi-Do? <laughs> nah, see, the thing that you're forgetting is there's training and then there's a little natural ability. <laughs> and that's all natural ability, all right? That's just all flexibility, core strength, <laughs> and just hand-eye. You know, that's the whole... Why does his leg look a foot and a half at most when he actually kicks her in the head? What angle because, were they at? Did they have to get to? If he to fully to get extended that, right? that leg, he would have kicked Shiwatel's head off of his body. Okay, it's that <laughs> kind of power. All right, so don't talk about what you don't know. about. I just marvel at it. I think it's an inside joke with RC that whenever he has like a shotgun, he does something like that, uh, or whenever he's like, nice guys. the nice guys, the nice guys trampoline <laughs> through the window, man. <laughs> I lose it every time. Like it doesn't take me out of it. I'm just like, oh, there's yeah, RC you, doing him. Nice Guys is a movie you can get taken out of for a minute and get right back in. Oh yes, yeah, you get right back in. For instance, when but, Russell Crowe suddenly has a six pack and flies, <laughs> flies through the yep. window. It's great. It's great. And in this one, when he just kicks the shit out of her, just right in. I mean, it's such a point break scene. Yep. It, it's the point break raid and then the chase yeah. and all this. It's it's awesome. Yeah, there, there's a lot of homages to, to this movie. Like, there's a lot of... Like, I, th- I feel like you see some Mean Street scenes in this movie. Uh, French Connection, French Connection when absolutely. Josh Brolin is roughing him up in the donut shop. Yep. It's... It all... It all... It's all... It all plays and We should great. go to Josh Brolin Corner for a minute because we haven't... Uh, we haven't... We've, we've mentioned him, but we haven't really talked about his part. I, like, prior to this, Josh Brolin is a bit character that sort of... Shows up here and there, but really is known for Goonies. I know we've talked about him on previous pods, obviously. He has absolutely continues to get better. It's really funny to see him in the same year in American Gangster and No Country for Old Men. Because I think he is very good in No Country for Old Men. And I think he is bad in American Gangster. Like, he's... Really? I oh, do. I did not hear this take coming. I do, because he's not bad to the point that it takes me out of it. I think it's fake tough. And I think he's supposed to be fake tough. But when I read that Gandolfini was offered Trupo and turned it down, I was like, oh, that's Trupo. That's Trupo. Yeah, I did see that too. I'd buy him, man. I honestly buy him in the role. I I, I buy him as tough. I, I like it. He's got that, you know, gigantic head. 
Oh, and he's a dick. It just looks like it doesn't fit on his body. <laughs> no, he's a bobblehead human being. Absolutely. Yes, he really is. Well, so is and his short dad. arms. Yeah. He's a T-Rex. <laughs> so is his dad. Like, yeah, James has totally. that. But he's, he totally plays off a dick. Like, I think that's fine. I just... I, I, I don't know. I, I don't totally get into his troupeau. And then when I sit here and think about James Gandolfini playing it, I'm like, well, that would have been awesome. That would have made more sense. That would have been better. I wonder why he turned that down. I wonder what else he was working on. I at think that point. James Gandolfini, I'll be honest, kind of had our attitude a little bit with like, look, mm. I've now got all that I ever need. Now I'm just going to do shit I really want to do. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And outside of, I, I, I mean, can buy that. And now that I think about like his post, uh, uh, Sopranos roles, like I think he was steering away from like I don't want to be the gangster or tough, you know, the tough guy and everything. No, he he totally he totally was um, surviving Christmas. He's excellent in that, that and, movie's underrated. Uh, it totally underrated. Enough said though, which I think was like his last role. That was with uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus, right? Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. That was great. Yeah, I like that movie. That was so good. Yep, that was so good. That movie's chef good. Like I, I put that in the chef category. Nobody's oh, yeah. seen it. But it's heartwarming. It's just good. Like, just all the way around good. Julia Louis-Dreyfus really needs to be in more... Th- I mean, she was so great in Veep, but I need to see her in more movies. Yep. Like, I need her to be in more things. Uh, She's amazing. Hard agree. Yeah. I want to talk about these two finally getting together yeah. in the same room. Yeah. The pot has boiled. The the, the pressure yes. cooker, she a whistling now. Yep. Yep. This is... Post the tuna, pickles, lays, and mayo on a sandwich that RC is eating. Been there, baby. This is, we figured it all out. You know, they're eating the Chinese food and, you know, the chicken, the Kung Pao chicken, everything is done. Mm -hmm. We finally have raided the drug den in the high rise projects buildings. And now we're at the church. And we, I mean, it's just a great scene when he walks out. They walk the mother back in and the wife. And it's just RC standing there in front of the car. Like, yep. We got and, you, man. And the juxtaposition between Frank always looking just tight, right? Like everything, yep. tight lines, great suits, perfect fit. And Richie is just a fucking trash heap of an individual with ill-fitting clothes. And he's just standing there in his shit jeans with his shit sneakers, with his crap jacket. And it's like... You know what's up. And Frank's like, I do know what's up. Well, Richie's just coming off his kung fu exercising, okay? That's well, see, he doesn't have really to do that. That's there. what you're forgetting. He does. It's natural. That's natural ability. How many times <laughs> I got to tell you this? Natural. So they're in the interrogation room or the whatever room, you know, they flash to there. And Richie, so I want to be clear here. Um, had the arrest was, you know, we know he's passed the bar. Yep. Also going to be the prosecutor now for the case. Yeah. Now, how common is this? Oh, that's not going to be a thing. <laughs> okay. That's going to be what I thought. The, the answer to that is going to be zero common sir. Now, I know this is not one of those podcasts <laughs> where you kind of like talk about the I don't know, do they even have those where you kind of that'd be an interesting idea to talk about the legality of stuff that happens. Yeah. Hashtag movie briefs. In a movie. You can find us at movie if briefs. There was on, a podcast like that. Uh, Twitter I think, and you know, I think I actually heard something like an ad for one and I started listening to it, but I could not stand the mail post. <laughs> so uh, I said fuck it. You know, we're we're actually getting that a lot on our uh, on our comments <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. 
But no, in all in all seriousness, yeah. it's not a thing. No, right? no, and it's not a thing because like he's a witness, man. He investigated the whole <laughs> yeah. thing. Like he's the cop who's gonna have to take the stand and answer questions and get cross examined about. <laughs> yes, I collected this dope, and yes, I did this raid, and yes, I you know did this surveillance, and yes, you know yada yada yada. And no, he can't. No, just fucking no, like at all. <laughs> not now. Let's say that he could. Okay, okay. let's okay. just let's just buy that he could. He's also not going to be appointed by the district attorney's office to prosecute the largest heroin dealer in the history of New York for his like he just passed the bar. first trial. Like that's just Yeah. He can't even get the opening statement out, which is the classic every every movie has the uh, we will show you and you will see or whatever the fuck that line is, you know, Wait, that's called ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Yep, and that's how, yeah, that's how you're supposed yeah, to do it. Yeah, but they always start the same way. Yeah. Like, I'm going to prove or I'm going to show you I got evidence, bitch. And this motherfucker did it. That's that's how that works, yes. right? Yes. So, yeah, no, I agree. It's just, it's him and one other person yep. at the desk. You, you also, you're going to kick that gum before you start court at all. <laughs> yeah. That's going to, yeah. you don't stick that under the table in front of the jury to see you. I just, I want to ask you though a question. So all that, all that aside, mm-hmm. uh, that that would never happen. How good was RC at capturing what the first time you're in a somewhat, like a mate, not somewhat, but a serious trial and capturing that, just that angst or that nervousness that you must have yes. about, I got to fucking talk now. To- that part, totally for real. Like i I don't, I script a lot. Like, you know, that's one of the things the movies always get wrong, but I, you script a lot. Like, here's the questions that I want to get into, or here's what I want to say, particularly when it comes to you write out openings. You know, it may not be verbatim, but you certainly script that out. But yeah, you get really nervous. And, and it, and it's because, it, you know, there's stakes and I can't speak to it on the civil side, but certainly from the criminal side, the stakes are enormous. And the bigger the case, the higher the stakes. And, you know, it's yes, he got that. He absolutely aced nervousness. He absolutely aced, um, you know, being prepared, but looking like you're unprepared because all of your nerves and that that ball of anxiety that's in your stomach. Absolutely, like got I, that suit with the tag on it still, yeah. throwing up in the bathroom. Oh yeah, just, just really all that's yeah. It's it's great when they are together, and Denzel Frank Lucas sends his lawyers out of the room. I get so excited to just dude. talk. Dude, it's so great, right, man? Dude, they're just like, you can see it on their faces how much fun they're having acting oh, with totally. each other. The respect they have for each other. I, I couldn't find it. Like, this is what happens when you go Blood Brothers on Virtuosity is you get it for life. <laughs> and yep. Yep. you would like the smile on Denzel. And this is the Denzel meme that we all love. But like, no one has ever said my man better than Denzel. Mm-hmm. And this is the movie he says mm-hmm. it the most. And just that smile and that lean in the chair, like, you've got me, but I have you. And, you know, when, yeah. when he's laying out the bribe and, you know, RC's kind of kicking back. Because I think, again, it would be easier for an actor that is less confident to try and match charisma with Denzel in that moment as opposed to match character. And I think they match character perfectly. You know, RC doesn't stray out of being Richie Roberts in order to sort of like, you know get up into a Frank Lucas type character. He stays Richie Roberts. Like he explains the, the million dollars. I was talking to uh, my lawyers. They said something to me. I can't believe it. Did you really 
find a million dollars in the trunk of a car and, and, and turn it in. Did you yeah. do that? You did yeah. that for real, huh? My man. Good for you. <laughs> you know Johnny Law got it though, right? Maybe. I ain't no maybe about it, Mr. Richard. You know he got it. You turned that money in, he took it, and you ain't get nothing for it, did you? Why you do that? What's the right thing to do? Oh, that's true. That's a good answer. What's the right thing to do? The question I have, the question I've been asking myself is, would you do it again? I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a long time ago. Many car payments ago, many child support payments ago. So I, I said to myself, the only way to find out is to find out. You know, give me an address. I make sure the car's there. I make sure that money's in that trunk. No, thanks. You sure? Come on now, Richie. What, you think that impresses me? Huh? You think that you're better than them? You ain't no better than none of them other cops. In fact, you're the same as them. You are them. Let me ask you this. Do you really think that putting me behind bars is going to change anything on them streets? Them dope things are going to shoot it, they're going to steal from it, they're going to die for it. Put me in or out, they going to change one thing. And that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. So what we got, Richie? We got me and you sitting here. We got that little snitch-ass driver for my brother. We got a little bit of powder. You're going to need more than that, Richie. I got possession, supply, conspiracy, bribing a law officer. I got people who attest to seeing you killing cold blood. I got your offshore bank accounts, your real estate, your businesses, all bought with money from heroin. And I got hundreds of parents of dead kids, addicts who OD'd on your product, and that's my story for the jury. That's how I make it all stick. This man murdered thousands of people, and he did it from a penthouse driving a Lincoln. Aside from that, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> that's pretty good, but that's why we go to court, isn't it, Richie? Because I got witnesses, too. I got celebrities, I got sports figures, I got Harlem, Richie. I took care of Harlem, so Harlem's gonna take care of me, you can believe that. I got more than that, Frank. What you got? I got a line of people wanting to testify against you that stretches out the door and around the block. Oh, you damaged shit. a lot of lives, Frank. I got the Mazzano crime family, remember those boys? No, you put I them out of business. I ain't got nothing to do with no Mazzanos. Mazzanos ain't got nothing to do with me. They got everything to do with you. What they you know got? why? Why? Because apart from the fact that they hate you personally, they hate what you represent. I don't represent nothing but Frank Lucas. You sure? Black businessman like you? You represent progress. The kind of progress that's gonna see them lose a lot of money. With you out of the way, everything can return to normal. My man. <laughs> like that interaction. Oh, it's great. It, it's it's just it's subtly great. Like they're not, it's not a put this on my Oscar reel moment. This is just two actors sitting there having a conversation both of them have some kind of leverage they're not sure how much it's worth and then for Richie Roberts to not get knocked off his perch well when he says because obviously the bribe is the first offering right and then it's well maybe you know something happens to you or your family kind of thing uh you want to get in line because that one stretches around the block too yeah the the equality that they have and then he's like then what do you want i know you don't want cops it's like yeah that's that's what yeah. i want man that's what we're here to talk about that that look on on denzel's face when he's like oh you want you want police officers you want police officers mm-hmm. he's like i do he's like oh shit i, I like i really think there's like a, i love this guy i fucking love yeah, this guy totally and i mean probably why he hired him uh after he had a uh, parole violation uh another question sure 
do you does that make sense? Yeah. Being the prosecutor and then being the defense attorney for Yeah, that because person? he doesn't prosecute it's not defending the same case he was involved in. The the case that he ended up defending him on was so Frank Lucas ends up going to prison. As the end of the movie tells you, he gets convicted for 70 years. It says he does 15 of that. Originally, he only did five, and then he was released on lifetime parole. While he was on parole, he ended up getting uh, busted for another minor drug uh, distribution count. That's yeah. when he hired Richie to defend him on that count. So, gotcha. you know, there's, you know, yeah, he could do that. That's fine. But Richie Roberts okay. also lost his license, so... Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Did he go all F. Lee Bailey, or what happened? Kinda, yeah. There was a tax problem where he pled guilty to some tax uh, tax crimes with the uh, IRS and had to forfeit some ability to practice law. That was in... I want to say that was in the 2010s, so not, hmm. not terribly long ago. Because Fra- Frank Lucas, if you guys don't know, he passed away in 2019, I think it was. So he passed away fairly recently. Uh, but... Yeah, that that scene is just great, man. Like those those dudes together, we don't get to see that often. It's sort of like, you know, I don't care what sport you follow, or what you know, whatever your thing is, the two best at that thing rarely mm-hmm. ever meet. I would say tennis. Your your thing is probably the most likely to see oh, the yeah. two best people in the world at what they do play fairly often, right? Yeah. You know exactly how, how, but Tiger and Phil playing in a final round of a major, yeah, where they're both in contention. It's like you know, handful of times, yeah. You know, not and yeah. in a major, maybe twice. You know, yeah. not not a lot, or even you know, basketball. Like you want to see the two best teams play for the championship. You don't necessarily see that all that much. No, or, I don't think the Heat would be considered the best team that came out of the East last season. <laughs> Probably not. Um, not. But, you know, so it, it, it's hard to get that matchup. And in movies, from a budgetary standpoint, it's hard to get the two best at what they do on screen. You know, you know, that's one of the things that used to be really fun when they were putting real money into romantic comedies was getting to see the two best at what they do beyond the same screen. And you just don't get to see it very often. And when you do, and it doesn't look like a competition because instead of competing, they're both adding to that pot, like adding just just adding energy to the same project as opposed to trying to win the scene. I mean, the, this whole movie culminates with that. And then there's just this gigantic smile because by the time they get on screen, I don't know if you would agree with this, but most of the stakes have been settled. Oh, yeah. Everything's, everything's done. Yeah, there's not a it's resolution. Over. The resolution is seeing these two act together for 10 minutes. It's not resolving the story. I have an, another unanswerable question here uh, for you. Well, I guess it's a kind of a two-parter here. Um, we know, obviously, Frank's downfall was because he wore something his wife gave him. Yep. Don't do that. That was dumb. <laughs> don't, do some, don't wear um. stuff. Your little tip from Cigarette Burns uh, HQ. <laughs> do not wear things your wives or partners get you. Uh, no, in all seriousness, though, I mean, that's the, that's the catalyst. That they use. That's the plot device that finally gets him noticed. Right. Goes against goes against his own advice that he gives to his brother, Chewy Tell, of you don't want to stand out, you don't want to be flashy, you don't want this, that, or the other. Goes against all that. But here's my question. Did he really think that sitting that close at such a high profile event, even if you were in a regular suit, would not get you noticed? Right. Yeah, that was I mean, that's kind of a struggle he has through the whole movie, right? It's like how high profile do I want to because I want to have my club. I want to have Joe Lewis come to my club. I want to mm-hmm. marry Miss Puerto Rico. 
Um, you know, I want to <laughs> yep. hand out the turkeys in Harlem. I want to be bumpy. Keep being bumpy. Yep. Versus, you know, and I think that's another hard thing. I want to make all this money. I want to enjoy it, right? I want to enjoy some spoils. Yeah. But yeah. that is what the genius of Gustavo Freen was. Lived a humble life in a little house, you know, not not like small, but right. not a mega mansion that you would expect from Scarface. Ran Los Pollos Romanos and cleaned up the garbage outside. And that was it. He nailed it. He nailed yeah. it. You won. Now, again, he probably had a ton of money and should have gotten out of it. But that's a, that's a tough that's thing a di- to do. Di- different conversation. Yeah, yeah. But his his downfall, I would not blame on the wife or the or the clothing. No. It was his own arrogance of I think he let himself really get an inflated sense that he was untouchable. Yeah, absolutely. Which which is the common theme for all of these movies, right? Is yeah. I'm now above it. I'm I'm never gonna get touched. We're done here. And you know, as I was doing some research with this Obviously, we mentioned earlier that not a ton of what's in the movie is historically accurate. One of the things, and, and both Frank and Richie have said that, but one of the things Richie said was like, look, they they made Frank look too noble in this movie. You know, they, they really made it. And, and one of the judges, which it's hard for me to really take judges' words for it, that were judges in, you know, the 70s that are, you know, there's definitely tinges of racism, but there were there were definitely allegations that, uh, Frank Lucas was not nearly as smart uh, or polished a businessman as this movie made his operation out to be. Um, but on the flip side, obviously he knew what the hell he was doing because he smuggled all this heroin in through the United States Armed Services. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, which they the movie did get sued uh, by some people for libel. Really? Yeah. Some I want to say it was either some cops or some service members sued. For portrayals in the, you know, uh, portrayals in the movie. So a lot of it's Hollywood. I, I tend, it's a, it's a hard conversation to have, but I always veer towards give me a good movie before you give me a good history lesson because I don't go to the movies for history. Um, something I'm sure we've talked about in the past, but at the same time, I think there is somewhat of a responsibility if you're going to say based on a true story to you know, take liberties that are maybe artistically necessary, but not like make up the whole damn thing. So that that's another, well, that's when you say inspired by, yeah, that's the inspired by that's the inspired by. <laughs> and then the third, the, the less, the lesser known, like people named this existed. I think that's the, the one that they have to go to in some movies, but um, either way, I don't really give a shit about the accuracy of this movie. It is an entertaining as hell movie. It is an excellent masterpiece of a film. Yeah. A magnum opus for Ridley Scott. Yeah. I don't mind that. Uh, off of that, do you have any recommendations? I have a lot of recommendations. I do too. And I'm really glad that you are editing this one because that way you can type <laughs> all these out. <laughs> um, I tried to go for recommendations that uh, I thought maybe most people, I don't want to say most people haven't seen, but not the classic ones. There's yep. no... Godfather 2, there's no Goodfellas in, in here and kind of recommendations. So uh, my first recommendation is King of New York. This is a Abel Farrar movie, and it's great. It's great. It's got Lawrence Fishburne. It's 
I was discovered it from Quentin Tarantino actually when he was on I think the Rewatchables. He he was one of the ones he wanted to talk about, and I had never seen it. And it is Christopher Walken at his walkiness. Yes, it's 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 great. It's great. The Killing, Stanley Kubrick film. I recently saw this thing a few months few months ago. It's one of his early films. It might be actually his first. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So so good. Really really good movie. French Connection, obviously. Mm-hmm. Friedkin. Everyone's seen that, but still, they re- they reference it in this movie in terms of the French Connection dope. It's a great film. Everyone should watch it. Eastern Promises, a movie I don't think a lot of people talk about, but I really enjoyed it. Love it. it. Love that movie. So good. Um, obviously, Two Guns with Denzel and Wal. No, fuck that. Um- <laughs> I was getting ready to say, like, we're going to do a Wahlberg pitch on this episode? <laughs> no. For, for Denzel, I'm going with Flight, which... I think it's an underrated. I'm a sucker for Zemeckis, and I think the film itself and the themes that it explores are amazing. I know a lot of people don't like the movie because the trailer sold them on something else than what they really got. I loved it. Uh, you tack that on with Fallen, another Denzel movie yeah. where he's with John Goodman. Great. They're great together. For RC, because I know Cole's going to have some RC movie, Rough Magic, with some other chaser, I'm sure. I'm going to go with a movie that I don't know why more people don't talk about it because I recently watched it actually twice. The next three days is, really is a very entertaining movie. You, you stole it. Okay. You stole it from me. Very entertaining film. Mm. Uh, Haggis. Yeah. Right. One of his few good ones, yep. I would say. Um, for Zalian, I'm going to go with Searching for Robbie Fisher. Oh, you son of a, a bitch. film I love. I uh, you wanted me to go first. That is. You wanted oh, me to go that first. Is, oh, that was my Love Searching for Robbie pick. Fisher. And um, for Kevin Corrigan, I'm going to go with Big Fan, a film he was in with Patton Oswalt, which I enjoyed. Patton Oswalt plays an obsessive uh, New York Giants football fan. Interesting movie. For the whole drug scene overall, rise and fall, I got to go with Blow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ted Demi, great film. Johnny Depp, pretty much his best performance, I would say. I totally agree. And and that's it. That's what I got for recommendations. What do you I got? I cannot believe you snakes searching Bob, for Bobby Fisher away from me. I cannot believe that. <laughs> um, and just to tack on to your next three days, because you also took that one away from me. Just, guys, <laughs> it's on Netflix. Watch it. It is. Just watch it. You'll enjoy it. You'll love it's it. It's a fantastic thriller. And set in an underrated, like, movie city. Yeah. The Three Rivers, yes, man. Pittsburgh. Very good. Like, I, I still think that's kind of what added to my, how much I liked, uh, Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Yeah. Exactly. Really interesting setting. So, oh, God. Three, next three days is really good. So, uh, for Zalian, I'm going to, again, say Searching for Robert Fisher. But Gangs of New York. People think this is lesser Scorsese. I love Gangs of New York. I know we've, we've talked in the past about the casting, some casting issues. But it's, it's super underrated DDL. Just really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, for Russell Crowe, Proof of Life. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about it. We talked offline about it. We don't need to talk about it now. Proof of Life. Oh, it's so bad. It's not. It's just not. It's just a fun movie. It's just a fun movie with some ridiculous shit happening. And Caruso comes in to sort of like plant a flag of masculinity. And Russell Crowe's like, well, here's the thing. No, mate. So, uh, <laughs> also, oh boy, Man with the Iron Fists with uh, the Rizzo. So, mm-hmm. we talked about this, I think, briefly on one when you finally saw it. Yep. Super entertaining, uh, like, comic booky uh kung fu movie that RZA directed and is in it, and Russell Crowe's <laughs> amazing turn. 
Then Mystery Alaska, we mentioned earlier, just fun sports movie. And Virtuosity, what a shitbag of a movie that is. It's just bad. <laughs> Everybody's bad. The story's bad. The direction is bad. Everything's bad. Uh, so you're welcome. For Denzel Washington, I had to go from the Tony Scott catalog, Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a this is an underrated movie. This is a really, really, really good movie. Um Remember the Titans. Quintessential, like if you grew up if you were born in the mid eighties, this Denzel was like, Oh, that's oh I see him now because I'm fifteen and I want to play football or something. This is a football coach and that's an underrated movie. That's a great movie. It's just My sister's boyfriend, that's his favorite movie. Loves Remember the Titans. Despite that, it's really good. <laughs> uh, uh, Cole's, Cole's just joking, yeah, Jared. Don't just, worry just about joking. that. I, I don't know who you I, You sound great. I don't know. I've never met you, but that was not a dig at you. It's just a good joke. Uh, obviously, Training Day. See it. It's incredible. Antoine Fuqua. Awesome stuff. And the best biopic that has ever been uh, made, Malcolm X. That's the best Denzel's ever been, is Malcolm X. And then for Ridley, I mentioned it earlier, Thelma and Louise. Uh, we have an episode on that a year and a half ago or something like that. It's in the catalog. You can find it. But that'll tell you how much both Judd and I absolutely love that movie. And as I looked at Ridley's, you know, I, I thought Matchstick Men, which I think if you want to watch Matchstick Men back-to-back with Catch Me If You Can, that's a hilarious four hours. That's a good, that's uh, a good one. Because right they will look like the same movie. Uh, that was during <laughs> Ridley's copycat period. But uh, yeah, Thelma and Louise. So had that blue tint. It did. Like it. the you know poster what I mean? had that is total the exact blue same tint. thing. Yeah. But uh, anyway, th- this is a really fun episode. This movie obviously uh, is something that we love. I-, I-, I hope more of you like hit us up if you watch it. Let us know because I can't figure out like the meta score is seventy six, but I feel like people think this is more of a five out of ten, and this is easily a nine out of ten for me. And here's the th- I totally, for me too, I'm right there with you, but you don't really need to hit us up about that. I mean, you can if you want to, but hit us up more about what your thoughts are on Proof of Life, because I really <laughs> want to hear what the people think of that train wreck of a it's movie. It's so good. Don't worry about it. I just told it's you. It's so not good. It's so not good. Well, guys, thanks for listening. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, at SigBurnsPod, and you can email us, cigarettebirdspodcast at yahoo.com, rate subscribe oh no i gotta say smash that subscribe smash button, that subscribe right button, that's baby. what they say on the youtube yep, videos that's, that's that. smash that shit yeah, yeah that's, that's it you know gotta get them ads up or whatever i don't yep. know bullshit but do subscribe rate anyway, review that does help yeah do 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 that and, and tell us honestly i don't really care what you think about the episode tell us about proof of life because i gotta know what people think about this movie Shut up, man. so get out of anyway here. Thanks, thanks uh, for listening, guys. And Cole, what do we have coming up next? Uh, a Brendan Fraser classic, one of our in honor of baseball season starting. We are going to do the Scout. Brendan Fraser, Albert Brooks. Nobody talks about it. It's such a good baseball movie, and I, I'm I'm very pumped because uh, Brendan Fraser and Albert Brooks are two of our favorites. Like that, we genuinely celebrate these two actors, and I'm very excited to talk. Diane Weist, also fantastic. George Steinbrenner, great. Well, Calzones. Calzones. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Later, Brenners.